Good evening. Tonight's class is always sponsored in the memory of Yitzchak Tzvi ben Yosef. His neshama should have an elevation and only good things. Okay, it's also the yarkut of Brian's mother. Okay, um, so the question was asked if you need a chumash for tonight's class, and the answer is no. You know why not? Because the verse we're going to talk about is a verse that all of you know by heart. What verses do you all know by heart? Shema, very good. Very good. And this week's parasha includes within it the... Shema, very good. <laughs> you guys are on fire today. So we're going to talk about just a few words of the Shema. Not the first line, which is like the most famous, and that's you know, many, many hours of discussion. But some words in the Shema that you also all know. And we're going to discuss these words, which are the source of perhaps the most frequent, and although there's many mitzvahs that you could say are the most important, the most important mitzvah in the Torah. So what's the most important mitzvah in the Torah? Now, there's more than one most important, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> Welcome to Judaism, where many things are the most, you know, but... Knowing God is one. Knowing God is one, okay. That is one of the most important mitzvahs, very good. Yeah. So there's another mitzvah, which is also frequent. First of all, let's say hello to Gail. Thank you all the way from Pennsylvania. And Esther, all the way from Coral Springs. We don't want to forget about Coral Springs over here either. Good evening, everyone. Okay, so, hello, Andrea. Andrea, you're in Sunrise, I don't remember where you live. Okay, we have them all over. Baruch Hashem. Okay, so, for those that just joined us, we're discussing the, mo- the Shema, one of the most famous verses in the Torah is from the Shema. Not the most famous verse. The most famous verse is the verse of Shema. But the mitzvah that we do most frequently, or at least we should be doing most frequently, of all the mitzvahs, is a mitzvah of, someone take a guess on Facebook, someone here in the room, the mitzvah we do more frequently than any other mitzvah. Passing down to your kids. I said, fill in, first of all, only men do. Secondly, even the most religious man only does it once a day. Right? Davin, you do three times a day. Passing down to your kids. You're on the right track. You're on the right track. But that's not a. Passing down what to your kids? Okay, so you're close, but just passing down to your kids. What if you don't have kids? Passing down to your students as well. Okay, teaching your students. And what if you don't have students? <laughs> First of all, Andrea is joining us all from Long Island. Batya is, I don't know, where are you, Texas? I don't know where Batya is, but Batya, right, food. Food is definitely one of the most frequent parts of Judaism, but not necessarily, well, making a blessing on food can be something you do frequently, but a mitzvah that every single person should be doing on a regular basis, male, female, married, single, lots of kids, no kids, Shabbat can only once a week, and it's only a woman. Yeah. Every day, the minimum requirement is twice a day, but really should be doing it all the time. If a person could, there you go, thank you, Montreal. No one, no one on Facebook, anyone on Facebook that didn't hear what you said. The mitzvah that every Jew needs to do every single day is study Torah. Study Torah, right? The bare minimum, thank you, Shira. Shira said Torah. Someone on Facebook said tzedakah, which is also a good answer. And tzedakah has no minimum. There's no, I mean, there's no maximum. You never like, does have, I shouldn't say it. There's no amount when you finish. But tzedakah, I, I'm going to take that back. Tzedakah, first of all, you can only do the mitzvah of tzedakah if you have tzedakah to give. Secondly, there has to be a person to give to. Third, once you give maizah, you give the tithe, you've fulfilled your obligation. You write one check and you're done for the month. Um, 
studying of Torah, the obligation in Shulchan Aruch and the Code of Jewish Law for a person who works for a living who is busy during the day is to study Parak Echad Shachris, which means to study at least one chapter of Torah, one, you know, some Torah in the morning and to learn Torah in the evening after work. That's the minimum requirement. Minimum requirement. But ideally, not ideally, in truth, the mitra is to study Torah, to toil in Torah day and night. Vagisa bo yomon valayla, it's a mitzvah to study the Torah day and night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There is no time that a Jew, if you have a free minute, you have to study Torah. That is for sure, at least should be anyway, the most frequent mitzvah that a person does is take time to study Torah. What? You do it every day. Any Jew that takes Judaism seriously studies Torah every single day. Any Jew that takes their Judaism seriously, and you have to pray every day also, and you have to give charity, you really should give charity every day, you have to make a blessing on food, but the study of Torah, that's like, you know, that's the bread, that's the bread of being a Jew, is, is, is learning, is, is being educated, is understanding, is understanding the wisdom of God. So what is the biblical verse from which we learn the mitzvah, the biblical obligation that a Jew has to study Torah. Now, what the question again for those who didn't hear the first time is: What is the verse, the biblical source, from which we are told we have a mitzvah that every Jew must study Torah every single day? Now, I will say there's many verses in the Torah that talk about the study of Torah, but. One of those verses, of all the verses, has to be chosen as the source, right? The biblical source. So what verse is the source? Batya making a very good point that on Tisha B'Av, he's not allowed to study many parts of Torah, most of Torah, because it gives pleasure, she's right. And yet, as I was reading in the Code of Jewish Law, or in the collections of the laws, a Jew never cannot study Torah. So even in the time when they're not supposed to study Torah, on Tisha B'Av, we study from the Tractate of Gittin, uh, that talks about the destruction of the temple, or we study the laws, of the, the book of Eicha. We still find, there's still Torah that you can study in the time that you're not supposed to study. But anyway, back to the discussion. Which verse is the biblical source that you cannot, that, that you cannot, can you see? That you must study Torah. I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. It's connected to the most famous verses in the Torah. You all know the, you all know the verse. Well, Shema doesn't mean to study Torah, but you're in the right, you're in the right paragraph. Yeah, 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 very good. In Hebrew, v'shinantam levanecha, v'dibartabam, v'shiftecha bevetecha, uvalechtecha vaderech, uvashachbecha uvkumecha. And now in English, you shall teach it over to your children, v'shinantam, you shall teach it to your children, v'dibartabam, and you shall talk in these words, when you lie down, when you get up, sorry, when, when you're, yeah, when you lie down, when you get up, when you're on the road, and when you uh, are home. I made the wrong, when you're sitting in your home, when you're going on the journey, when you lie down, and when you uh, went, get up. My live went out? Okay, I think we're live. I didn't lose the connection. I don't know if anyone else lost the connection. It looks like we're on over here. Um, so again, so in case some people lost us, the biblical source for the mitzvah of studying Torah is from the Shema, the verse you all know by heart. You shall teach it to your children. 
you shall discuss it, you should uh, talk about it. When you lie down in your house, and when you go out on the road, and when you go to sleep, and when you get up. And this is where we know that you say the Shema at night and in the morning, and that's also where you have the, the minimum biblical obligation of Torah study is at night and in the morning. So, so, we clearly see over here that where is the context of the mitzvah of studying Torah? Very interesting. What verse does the Torah use to tell us that me and you and every one of us has a mitzvah to study Torah? What verse is the Torah using? Shalom Jay, hope you're well. Does the verse say explicitly, you shall study Torah? Or is the verse talking about what Yosef actually correctly said, giving it to your children and teaching Torah to the next generation? Okay, that's true. If you don't study, then you can't teach. It's very hard to teach what you don't know. Some people do it, but uh, say, <laughs> it's, not, it's not usually the recommended path. Uh, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're definitely, some people teaching, but they have no idea what they're saying. But, um, yeah, but besides for that, hopefully the rabbi, they talk, or whatever the teacher knows what they're saying. So you have to learn to teach. So that would only make the question even stronger, which actually the rabbi asks the question you're asking. If you have to learn in order to teach, so why is the, why is the mitzvah of teaching, of, of learning Torah, written in the context of teaching to your children? Teach one, you teach a hundred. Okay, I'm not sure how that answers the question, though. When you're able to teach your child, you're able to internalize it. It becomes stronger. So if you learn, you're reading a book or you're studying by yourself, you don't internalize it so much. But if you are teaching it to someone, now you, you resonate with the message, you internalize the message more. That's true. There's a certain advantage to teaching. It makes something more real to you and you remember it better. But you can still fulfill your biblical obligation of studying Torah even if you're not teaching it. Right? And you could read it out loud and you could meditate on it and still remember it without actually having another person who has to be your student. Well, to teach it to a student, you have to be able to comprehend it. If you're not able to teach, you don't really... You are correct. You are correct. In order to teach, you have to understand it, usually anyway. But that doesn't mean that the only way to comprehend is through teaching. You could listen and comprehend too, right? And you fulfilled your mitzvah studying Torah, even if you're not in the teacher position and you're the student and you're learning, you finish a class, and if you understood what was said in the class, then you fulfilled the mitzvah studying Torah. And you can think about it, and you can meditate on it, and you can write notes on it, and you can, you know... There's many ways of, of, of creating... Like writing notes, for example, is a very effective, proven method of remembering something that you heard in the class better. But that's not teaching. So this is the question we have to understand. The first question. I hope it's clear. Yes, the Haft is also famous. But so why, why does the Torah, when it tells us that we have a mitzvah to study Torah, does it not say explicitly, "Thou shalt study Torah"? Instead, it says, "You shall teach it to your children, and you shall talk about it." So it's like, you know, saying hidden in teaching. And what comes first? Teaching the children. Then you shall learn. As Yosef correctly said, you can't teach till you learn. 
By the way, um, what? Sorry, yeah. That's not where I'm we're teaching. That's where you're studying with a study partner and you're discussing in this dialogue. Again, there's many advantages to teaching. There's a very famous Mishnah that says, I learned a lot from my teachers. I learned more from my friends. And I learned from my Talmida, from my students, I learned more than everybody else. I learned more from my students, I learned from... And it's true, as a teacher, it's true. There's a lot to be gained from teaching. The question is not, why should you teach Torah? That's not the question. The question is not if there's value in teaching. The question is, there's a mitzvah of studying Torah independent of teaching Torah. Correct? You have a mitzvah to learn Torah regardless of if you're a teacher or a student, if you're old, if you're young, if you have children, if you don't have children, you have a mitzvah to study Torah. So why is the mitzvah of learning Torah written within the verse of teaching Torah to your children? That's the question. Greater depth. Okay. Now, before I, I can't just answer the question so quickly. I gotta make it a little stronger, right? You know, it's a pretty strong question already. But if you look in all of Jewish law, starting with the Rambam and in uh, in, 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 in the Code of Jewish Shulchan Aruch, you know how the, the laws of teaching Torah are taught. If you look in the Rambam, for example, the opening chapter of the laws of studying of Torah, the whole section of the Rambam, of Maimonides, the laws of studying Torah, chapter 1. How does it start off? Chapter 1, verse 1, uh, chapter, Halacha 1. The Rambam writes that a katan, a young boy, his father is obligated to teach him Torah. As it says, you shall teach your children in the next paragraph of the Shemar. You shall teach it to your children. To speak in them. Second paragraph of the Shemar. So you have a mitzvah that a father is obligated to teach his children. And just like you're obligated to teach your son, you're obligated to teach your grandson. Another verse about the grandson. And if uh, this is not only one's children and grandchildren, it's a mitzvah for every wise man to teach any Jew he can, because teaching, when it says you should teach your sons, Vishinantam Levanecha, so the oral tradition is that what does Vishinantam Levanecha mean? What's your children? Someone you teach Torah to. So any of your students are called your banach, are called your sons. And then the Rambam says, someone whose father did not teach him Torah is obligated to learn on his own Torah. You see the way that the, the mitzvah is, is presented to us? The opening halacha of chapter one of the studying of Torah is a father is obligated to teach his children Torah. Then it talks about not only if, and then to teach your grandson Torah. The next halacha is that even if you don't have children to teach, every wise man should teach because anyone you teach Torah is considered your child. And then it says, but if your father didn't teach you, you have a mitzvah to learn Torah on your own. It should be the other way around. The mitzvah is to study Torah. And if you have children, you have a mitzvah to teach them Torah. And this is the way it's written in the Sefer HaMitzvahs that the 11th mitzvah is to teach uh, Torah to your children, mitzvah of Talmud Torah, etc. This is the way it's written in, in, in the Code of Jewish Law, in the Shulchan Aruch. That it is a mitzvah, a seg, that there's a positive commandment on the father to teach his child Torah. And if his father didn't teach him, then he should teach himself. So we have a strong question here. It should have said that the halacha, the mitzvah of learning Torah, should be study Torah. 
And if you study Torah and you have children, you have a second mitzvah, teach your child Torah. Not teach your child Torah. Oh, by the way, you have to also learn Torah to, to teach Torah. Understand the question? Yeah. So here's the answer. And then we'll develop the answer. But in short, the answer is as follows. The reason, the Rebbe explains a beautiful thought. The reason why the mitzvah of learning Torah, its biblical source from a verse about teaching children, is because every single Jew, when they study Torah, needs to learn Torah as if they're a child. What does it mean to learn like a child? How does a child learn? How does a child learn? When a child learns, they have no preconceived notions. They have no baggage. They have no agenda. They have no uh, opposition to anything you say to them. No preconceived, whatever, yeah. They are absorbing everything you tell them. They're fresh. They're a clean sponge. And whatever you tell the child, they listen. They absorb. They want to hear. And they accept it. And now so you tell your children about, I don't know, you know, the tooth fairy or... Uh, my home is called the tooth malach, but... The, eventually they figure out the secret that there's actually no tooth angel, right? And you tell them about, I don't know, whatever uh, fairy tales or whatever, and they believe it because they're, they're open. And obviously they grow older, slowly over time they begin to become more and more of a cynic, etc. But here the Torah is giving us a key message over here. Key message. Which is that when, you, when any person studies Torah, even an adult, the premise of the study of Torah has to be you're learning as if you're speaking to a child. You're telling yourself, whatever you're teaching yourself, whatever you're learning, you have to absorb it with the simplicity and the humility and the openness to learn of a child. It's a beautiful answer. Powerful answer. Okay? And now let's develop that. Let's take that even further. But that is the whole point of today's class. That's the whole point. Sometimes like simple, it's like beautiful. The Torah tells you to study, the mitzvah of studying Torah is not that you should study. I mean, you should study, but it's within the mitzvah of teaching your children because you need to learn with the innocence and the purity of a child. Now let's about it. There's a very famous Mishnah. In Pirkei Avos, in Ethics of Our Fathers. It says as follows. Alisha ibn Avuya says, Someone who teaches, uh, so someone who learns when they're a young child, to what are they comparable to? To writing with ink on a brand new piece of paper. However, someone who learns when he's old, what does he compare to? To someone who's writing with ink on an erased piece of paper. So think about that. You have a fresh, clean piece of paper and you start writing on it, right? It's perfect, clean. The paper absorbs whatever you put in it, the ink stays, it's good. Now imagine you have a piece of paper that already had someone's notes and then it was erased and it's like old and it's like, you know, crunched up and like, you know, someone already is full of eraser marks and now you try writing on the paper. And then there's like a little, you know, like the eraser mark is there and like doesn't, does the ink absorb in the paper as well? Yeah. Was it a worn old piece of paper? It absorbs, but not, not quite as well. The question was, does it absorb as well? doesn't absorb as well, right? Yes? No? Maybe? If you're writing fresh, if you have a fresh, clean piece of paper, fresh out of ink, you put it down, it sticks. Easy. 
if it's an old piece of paper, if it's worn out, if it's erased, if it's, it doesn't absorb. So on a simple level, what's the Mishnah saying? That when you're, a person learns when they're young, their brain is clean. It's fresh, so it absorbs. And these become things, we all know what we know from when we're a kid, we remember forever, right? You'll remember things you, as a young child, that's it. However, once already you're old and you've already erased stuff and your brain is full of baggage and you know, it's already, there's all this other information in your brain, it's not a clean piece of paper anymore. Now, with some older people in our room, no offense, you're as old as you're not young like Yosef and Alejandro. So, so what kind of inspiring Mishnah is this? Pretty like pretty, pretty depressing, no? Pretty depressing. Right? When Elisha ben Avuya comes to tell you, by the way, by the way, this, is my, not this, this Mishnah was in my Bar Mitzvah speech, not what I'm going to say now, but the Mishnah was. Elisha ben Avuya comes to tell you that it's good to learn when you're young. We got that part. Learning when you're young is good. Absolutely. Anyone in education will tell you that what you learn when you're young stays with you forever. That's great. But why does Elisha ben Avuya have to come and like rub it in for the old guys? Say, by the way, if you didn't learn when you were young, <laughs> too bad. You're like old, erased paper, taken out of the garbage. You're not going to absorb. You're like all old and brittle and hard. It's like, waste of time. What kind of mission is that, right? Papyrus. <laughs> An ancient scroll from the Dead Sea. <laughs> Put it in the museum for like preservation, you know. <laughs> don't touch. It's like delicate, fragile, don't touch. Fragile. Put it like, you know. yes, Robert, what do you say? I, I say it was written by a young guy. It was written by a young guy. Are you presenting me at his teacher? The Mishnah is written by a young rabbi. So, it, it seemingly the Mishnah, like, like, what's the point? Like, yeah, some young guy, like, very insensitive to the old people in the room, throws him under the bus. Like, you learn when you're young, good for you. You didn't learn when you're young, ha, huh, loser, it's like over. Like, what kind of Mishnah is that? That's pretty depressing. Yeah? It's not very... And what if a person didn't learn because their father didn't teach them? It's not their fault. If the kid was like a troublemaker in school, you tell the kid, if you're not going to learn now, and later in your life you're going to regret it, that's one thing. But what if an older gentleman, he didn't have the education when he was young. He wasn't given blessed with the opportunity to study Torah when he was a young pure, clean sponge, a fresh piece of paper. And now he's doing the best he can. And he's studying Torah. I'm sorry, you're not going to absorb it? Right? So, I'm going to give you one answer, and I'm going to give you the Rebbe's explanation of the Mishnah, based on what I just said earlier, on the same talk. The, the first answer, the, the Medrash Shmuel, explains that don't feel bad if you're an older person coming to learn Torah, and you think you missed the boat. So the Torah is, what's the Elisha that we are saying? You might think, my brain is already full of too much shtus. You know what shtus means? What it sounds like. What it sounds like. Shtus means garbage. Garbage. In Yiddish it's called narishkeit. There's another very important word. You can know the word narishkeit. What? Like chazerai. Chazerai is like garbage, yeah. So the world is full of a lot, a lot of shtus. Lots of it. Turn on the TV and you just get flooded with it. I'm saying it'll just overwhelm you. If you listen every day, like you don't begin to desensitize to the shtus, but it's all it's all garbage. It's all noise and 
So a person might think, it's too late for me to study Torah. It's too late. If I would have started when I was young, and I was innocent, and I was fresh, when I was Yosef, and I was Alejandro, then I could have studied Torah, then I could have absorbed it, and I would have been a good student, and I would have been religious. But now it's too late. I missed the boat. A person might say that to himself. I would love to, but I'm, I'm, my brain's old, I'm too tired, I already, I'm too set in my ways, I, I already have too strong of an agenda. I can't, I can't start to study seriously now at this point in my life, I'm too old. Yes, yes, Rabbi Kiva, you're correct, start at the age of 40. So there's, of course, there's precedent that it's never too late to start studying, studying Torah, never too late to start learning how to read. Of course, of course. And Robert's a perfect example. It's never too late. You start studying, and Robert's here every single day studying Torah. Only 23. <laughs> Even though he's only 23, but he sits and studies Torah every day for hours. Every day he sits in the and studies. He's learning how to read with Yosef, and he's going to become a big scholar because Robert's a sponge who's absorbing. But other people that might be watching, or people that we know that are not watching, why are they not by class tonight? They really want to come to class. They really want to learn what the Torah says. Not that they don't want to know. Not that they don't care what the Torah says. They do care what the Torah says. But, but what's the problem? They think it's too late for them. They think, at this point, that's not who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a secular Jew, so I'll just gonna sit and watch the same monotonous, mindless, mind-numbing TV for another night because it's too late. I missed the chance when I was young. I was a trouble. When I was young, I was in yeshiva. I was a troublemaker, whatever. Now it's too late comes Elisha ben Avuya, who's actually a very wise rabbi, and he says to this older gentleman, or older lady, and said, not that you're older either, you're 20, he's 23, you're 24, I'm saying, you know, he says that, don't worry, even though you're an older person, you can erase the paper. You can erase the paper. Someone who's learning when they're young, they don't need to erase anything. They're open, they're fresh, so let's, bam, put it on. But if you're older and your paper is already full of a lot of garbage and your papyrus is already full of ancient you know, hieroglyphics or whatever, don't worry. You can escape Egypt and you can escape the hieroglyphics and you can take an eraser and you can erase it all and you can have a fresh start. You get a fresh piece of paper? No, you, you are who you are. Oh, okay. A fresh piece of paper will mean that you died and came back in a new body in reincarnation. That's another that, topic. So hopefully you're not going to get a new piece of paper. You're going to be the same piece of paper, but you have an eraser. Is there anything in your mind that already is there from before that's blocking any freaking, anything that's there that's noise or baggage that you're carrying? You can cut it all out. You can erase it. You can wipe it. You can, you know, wipe Today we have whiteouts. We have uh, all different forms to make the paper as good as new. And you can still learn. Even if you're old, you can still learn. That's, that's the answer of, of the measure of Okay. Do you like that answer? Let's see what the... What do you say, Roseanne? Terrific. Terrific. She says, Sir. you can say no, because I have another one up my sleeve in case you don't like it. What do you say, Robert? Say it anyway. Oh. Say, it anyway. say? Say it anyway. Oh, the second answer? Oh, I will. Don't worry. <laughs> Kevin, just to hear if you like the, the first one's talking to you or not. Yes? You think it's good? Okay, if someone on Facebook tells they like the first answer. Okay. Well, you can erase it. Don't worry what happened in the past. 
you can, you're never defined. It's actually a very powerful message. You're never defined or limited by what happened in the past. Even if you're old and even if you're full of stuff, you got a lot of baggage, a lot of scribbling on that paper, a lot of doodling and you know, daydreaming in class. It's never too late to start fresh. Okay. But now, let's understand the deeper message that the Rebbe explains in this very same Medrash. Based on this, the, the, the Shema we just discussed, the fact that the mitzvah of studying Torah is deliberately presented to us within the words of Vishinantam Levanecha, that in order for a person to study Torah, they first need to approach it with the openness of a child teaching a child. And says the Rebbe like this. Let's reread the Mishnah a little bit. When it says that someone who learns Torah when he's a child, doesn't literally mean a child on their passport. I've told many times, right, that Friedrich Rebbe wrote that there's your biological passport and there's your Jewish passport. There's biological years and there's Jewish years. There's Jewish years. So you can have a person that's only five years old on the passport, on their birth certificate. But that's not what the Mishnah is referring to over here. When the Mishnah says a person who learns Torah like a young child means he learns Torah like a young child. He puts himself into a mindset of innocence, of purity, of curiosity, of a desire to learn, of openness of a young child. And so when a person, he could be 60 years old, but when he sits down and says, I'm a child, teach me, I want to understand what Torah says. It's not about putting Torah into my box, into my preconceived agenda. But I'm open. I have no agenda, no box, no structure. Teach me what the Torah says. What's the truth of God's wisdom? When a person learns like that, they can be 70 years old, 80 years old, 90 years old. But they're like a fresh piece of paper they'll absorb. But if you approach the Torah like an old piece of paper, you may be only 15 years old. Well, you already have an agenda, you already have a chip on your shoulder, you already have an ego, you already think that you're a sophisticated, brilliant genius because you're a teenager, so you're very smart. You know everything if you're a teenager, right? So, and you already come and you're going to tell you, you're going to decide if this statement in Torah makes sense, doesn't make sense, if it's the reality, doesn't fit. Then even though biologically you may be young, but you're like an erased piece of paper, it's not going to, if you're trying to put the words of Torah over your preconceived notions of that which you already put on the paper beforehand, it's not going to absorb. So then the answer should be take the piece of paper from whoever else, throw it in the garbage can, and then take the start over again. That was his question. You're the piece of paper. You're the piece of paper. You're the piece of paper. The point of the eraser here is not that. Over here, it doesn't mean that you can't erase the words. The mission is not saying you can't erase the words. Yeah, so, so here, so, yes, if you want to, th- in this context, you can throw the paper starting totally fresh, like a child, where your brain is clean. So I'll, it's the same notebook, but he's starting ahead. So there you go. So there you go. So you're in one notebook. Yeah, but you turn the page. They're perfect. We just found a good analogy. So you're one notebook with many chapters in your life, right? You have the different stages. This is great. We're on fire tonight. So you have, here's your book, right? Here's, your, uh, here's the story of your life. 
And some people are stuck on the same page. This is great. This could be a sermon. Some people are stuck on the same page. They can't turn the page. So they decided, everything I'm going to learn now, I'm going to have to fit it into my, into my box. Because I once saw this, or I once heard that, or I once experienced this trauma, or I once, you know, uh, someone was, whatever the issue is, that's what it has to be. And so the learning Torah, again, they may be young in years. It's not, when we say young and old here, we don't mean age. We mean in, in curiosity. We mean in perception and in mindset, in the mentality of your brain. Are you young and eager to hear the truth and curious? Or are you already rigid and old and you know, stubborn? Old people sometimes get stubborn. Right? So like, are you stuck in... Not that young people are not stubborn either. <laughs> Saying you get stuck in your ways. And it's stubborn, you're like stuck in your ways. Right? You can't teach an old dog new tricks. And that's it. This is the way I am. This is the way I am. And we're stuck on the page. I can't turn the page. You can't turn the page. Understand? So then, Elisha Menavuya and the Mishnah is teaching brilliant wisdom. Brilliant wisdom he's teaching. Someone who learns with the curiosity of a child, with the innocence, with the purity of a child, with the humility of a child. That's the key point of the humility of a child. That person is going to be like a fresh, absorbing piece of paper. But if he comes with his preconceived uh, agenda, you know, he's stuck on the page of a previous point in his lifetime, that's it. It's like old paper. Understand? This is a key component to studying Torah, which is, more than any other mitzvah, the importance of studying with humility, with a certain level of bittel. You ever heard the word bittel? Bittel means, it's translated as humility, as, as, as self, uh, you know, recognizing your limitation and your loneliness and your, 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 your limitations. Any other mitzvah that you do, any other mitzvah you do, of course, the kavana of the mitzvah, meaning the, the thought and the mental state of the person doing the mitzvah is important. So when you give charity, you mentioned tzedakah before, of course, if you give charity with a bad feeling in your mouth, a heavy heart, the mitzvah is not as great as if you give the, mitzvah, the, the charity with gladness and you can help somebody else. Of course, if you make a blessing on food, you mentioned making blessings on food, if you make a blessing and your mind is busy on the food, you quickly mumble under your breath and you're thinking about something else. So you say the prayers in the morning and your brain is not there. So it's obviously not nearly as good as if you're praying and your brain is focused and you're in the right space and you're talking to God and you're feeling connected. But have you fulfilled the mitzvah of saying Shema whether or not your brain is focused on the meaning of the Shema? Yes. You put on tefillin, you do the mitzvah. The first verse of Shema, you're obligated to understand what you're saying. But if you don't understand, you still, you still said the Shema, even though by Jewish law you have to repeat it again, the first verse. If you said a blessing on the food, you said a blessing on the food. If you gave charity, so you gave charity. There's a story of a guy who once came to the rabbi, I said, Rabbi, I used to give a lot of charity, but I'm going to stop. Because I see when I'm giving charity and I'm helping all these people, I'm not giving with my whole heart. So I'm not giving with my whole heart, so I'm going to stop giving. So the rabbi told him, that's fine. You're not giving it with your whole heart. But the poor people are, are eating the food you're giving with their whole heart. <laughs> they're, 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 they're using it with their whole heart. Yeah. So any other mitzvah you do, of course the level of humility, I was talking about the kavana and the meditation, and stuff, but also even more, the level of connection to God at that moment 
my sense of I'm doing this because God told me, and so I'm humbling myself before God, that's important for any mitzvah. Any mitzvah. But the mitzvah still is valuable and still complete without the meditation, without the feeling of humility before God. So if a person gives charity and it's all about their ego and pride, they still done the mitzvah. However, when it comes to the study of Torah, here we come to something very unique. Unlike any other mitzvah, the thought process of the person when he is studying Torah is critical to the success of his ability to understand the Torah. Meaning the actual effect of the mitzvah is connected to the level of humility and in this context of curiosity and the openness to the truth of Torah that this person has. Which means as follows. If a person studies Torah with ego, with pride, with his own agenda, it's very easy, very possible, he will totally misconstrue the Torah, convolute and corrupt the Torah to fit into whatever agenda he has, and he won't be studying Torah. He's twisting Torah into his mindset, into his agenda, into his worldview. So if that's, if, if there's no humility, if there's no level of accepting what God wants from me, the actual study of Torah will be affected and limited by that. Does it make sense? Is it, would you imagine it being possible for a human being with a finite, limited brain to truly be able to comprehend the infinite, unlimited wisdom of God? No. No. A finite brain should not be able to study the infinite wisdom of God. So how are we able to study and comprehend in our brain? Not just we study it. We're not just reading words. It's not like you're just like mumbling whatever God said so you're repeating the words. Your brain is comprehending it. Your brain's, you know, encompassing an idea. It's being internalized in you. How is it possible for our brain to internalize the word of God? How did you get to that higher level of spiritual awareness that your brain, a finite physical human brain that you possess, can, can absorb infinite godly words? Yeah, so I was explaining Tanya. Well, so there it talks about how you're, you're right. In Tanya, it t- explains yeah. the unbelievable unity of studying Torah, unlike any other mitzvah. Is that any other mitzvah, just you're doing the mitzvah. But here, is like God is surrounding you, like, and you're surrounding God because you're absorbing the word of God in your brain. You're actually, God's wisdom is in your brain. So even if you're a genius, even if you have the smartest human brain that humans have ever known, it's still a human brain. It's still a finite brain. And the word of God is it's the word of God. It's infinite. It's not human. It's not physical. So how is it possible for a human being to comprehend the Word of God, it's, it's not possible. Unless we're humbling ourselves and we nullify ourselves and we recognize that it's not about me, it's about God. As long as there's me trying to understand, it's never going to work. Because the moment it's about me, you've already not created an obstacle to, to, to God. Correct. Correct. So the moment you do that, you've created this blockage. A blockage. 
you've created a blockage. You are by definition a blockage to receiving the infinite wisdom of God. But if you're humble, if you're aware of the power of the moment that you have the ability to study and to comprehend and to internalize the Word of God, if you come with that level of openness, then you are ready to receive the Word of God. Which is why, first of all, let me finish the point, make sure it's clear before I go to the which is why, which is why the study of Torah is more dependent on the mindset of the person who's studying than any other mitzvah. Any other mitzvah has value regardless of my mindset. Any other mitzvah can be complete, it can be done properly, even if I'm doing it with ego. Torah study with ego is limiting the ability of my Torah study. It's not allowing my Torah study to be complete. It's not allowing me to connect to the, to the godliness of the Torah. You can maybe understand the words, but the godliness of the Torah I can't comprehend. Which is why we must make a blessing every morning before we study Torah. Why do we need to make a blessing before you study Torah? It's obviously a mitzvah. You make a blessing before you do a mitzvah. We know it's about in the times of King David, there was a plague and many Jews died. Why? Because they were studying Torah without making a blessing first. What does it mean they were studying Torah without making a blessing first? They were studying Torah without humility. I'm sure in the times of King David, they were making blessings in the morning. They were religious Jews. So they were probably making their morning blessings. But when the, Torah, the Talmud says they didn't make a blessing on the Torah before they studied, means that they didn't have the level of awareness that the Torah they're studying is God's Torah. They were learning Torah like a wisdom, like a science, like a theory, like a theology. Okay, theology is nice. You can study Greek philosophy and uh, Roman architecture and uh, Jewish uh, mysticism, I don't know. If that's the way a person studies Torah, that's some abstract concept, well, I'm learning, I'm learning wisdom. I'm learning architecture, I'm learning music, I'm learning history, I'm learning Judaism. I'm learning some Bible studies. If that's the mindset, then you're, you're creating a limitation in your ability to be open to receiving the Word of God. person needs to make a blessing first. person first needs to recognize, in the context of the Torah, that I am like a young child. I'm, I, I have no agenda. I have nothing already on the paper. My paper is clean. I may be 60 years old, but my paper is clean. My paper has no box. My paper has no social, cultural. No, my paper is clean. I am looking to stop, find the truth. I'm searching for the truth of God. I'm searching for the truth of Torah. Okay? This is, this, is, this is why the whole teaching of the mitzvah of Torah is all within how we teach children. That level of humility. I'll tell you one more thing. When Jewish people come to Har Sinai, come to Mount Sinai to receive the Torah. So I told you that every single morning before a Jew... Oh, everything's clear so far? Yes? On Facebook it got quiet. I hope everything is clear. Everyone's still watching. I hope the internet is working. Let me know if we're good. The Jewish people come to Mount Sinai. And if you know the story of Mount Sinai, every day that the Jews were at Mount Sinai, there was another aspect 
to the preparation they had to do in order to receive the Torah. Each day, they came on Rosh Chodesh, the first day of the month of Sivan, which is a very, very special day on the calendar for many, many reasons, most importantly because it's my birthday. <laughs> but besides that, it's also the day when the Jewish people came to the mountain of Sinai. So they camped at the mountain, and then the Torah says on the second day, Moshe went up the mountain, and God said, I'm going to give them the Torah, they should regret themselves. And then they came down to God, next day, God, the Jews said, we want to hear from God directly, so God, Moshe went back to God, and God said, okay, separate from your wife, all the preparations. But on the first day, when the Jews arrived at Mount Sinai, it says that on that day, the Jews didn't do anything. God didn't speak to them, Moshe didn't say anything, they didn't do anything. Why not? They were tired from the journey. They were tired. They were tired. So they had just traveled. So nothing. Only the next day does Moshe go up the mountain to start, you know, the preparations and the logistics and negotiations for how the Torah will be given. Will God give it? Will Moshe give it? Will the Jews be there? Etc. So the Rebbe asks another question, same question. It's actually from the Itur. How does it make sense? The Jewish people were counting down for this moment to receive the Torah. Right, that's why we count the Omer. One of the reasons we count the Omer every day for 49 days from Passover to Shavuot, totally receive the Torah, is because the Jews were so excited. The Jews were so eager to hear the Torah, to receive the Torah, that they were counting down the days. So imagine if you're counting down the days until a wedding. Yeah, until your graduation. Counting down one day, two days, five. Now you're at 45 days. That's the day they came to the to, to the. 44th day. Now we're going to the 45th day. Okay? Pretty exciting. You're almost there. I'm tired. I don't want to talk about the wedding today. Can you imagine? Imagine if your auntie calls you to talk about the flowers. Even if you talked about the flowers already 422 times. And the last thing you want to do is say, you're so excited you'll even talk about the flowers. How could the Jews be not interested in hearing anything from God so soon before receiving the Torah? So the Rebbe said the same thing. It's a different talk with the same idea. Which is that even though human nature is that when you're yearning for something so strongly, you want it, and you're, you're, the fact that you're tired and that you traveled doesn't disturb you, doesn't distract you when you're really, really excited for something very, very big in your life. Right? If you have to travel somewhere, you can do it up all night, but you don't want to miss your flight, you, you, you'll get up and you'll make it on time. So how can Jewish people be too tired to talk to God about receiving the Torah. But the point is that the first step of the Jewish people actually receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai was a clean piece of paper. A day of doing nothing. A day where they recognize they, they, all they did was travel from Rephidim to Sinai. It's not even a long journey. But they had to get into a new space. They had to get into a new clean emotional psychological space and then they could begin to receive the Torah Mount Sinai. And this, this is, this is exactly why Moshe, why the people have to wait for a day. Just like in the morning we make a blessing on the Torah before we, before we learn Torah, before the Jewish people could receive the Torah Mount Sinai, they needed to metaphorically make a blessing. They needed a day of clean piece of paper. Clean piece of paper. What's the conclusion of all of this? Two conclusions. Number one, that we need to study Torah with humility. That's number one. 
right? We need to study Torah with humility. We have to understand that the only way, the only way to properly absorb the wisdom of God is if we come with a clean piece of paper with no box. Which means, first, the first takeaway, that we come, it's not about, first of all, how old I am, how much I did learn, how much I didn't learn, what I think, what I feel, what my political opinions, what my this is, what my, uh, what my uh, teacher said, what my mother said, what my brother said. I want to absorb. I want to hear truth. I want to understand what does the Torah say. And I'm going to learn to internalize and make myself fit to the Torah, not the other way around. Not to fit the Torah into me, not put Torah into my box. I'm going to absorb and to learn what the Torah tells me. Yeah, that's already a very important lesson. Something that we're lacking in general, you know, that uh, we need to, uh, to have humility to recognize that the Torah is the wisdom of God and the only way it's humanly possible for the human brain to internalize and comprehend the infinite wisdom of God is with humility. With the curiosity, with the eagerness of a child who wants to learn and to absorb whatever you tell him. Okay. That's the first takeaway. Now let's get a little bit dangerous. and Let's go out on the limb over here and tell you a second takeaway. Which is, we live in a time when people say that many parts of the Torah don't make sense anymore. Torah is outdated. And, and it's, it's, so not, it's so archaic and so misogynistic and so, uh, you know, uh, 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 I don't know the right way, I don't know the words, so it's xenophobic and this and that. Where's the Torah when it comes to LGBTQ? And where's the Torah when it comes to rights and slavery and this and that? The Torah is a wonderful book with some very nice ideas about charity and, you know, so, uh, social justice and moral compassion and ethics. But there's so many parts of the Torah that are totally not, not reality today. And many, many Jews suffer with this problem. They have a paper full of stuff, full of stuff. Whatever box they've created, whatever agenda they already have. However they define Tikkun Olam, however they define what the world should look like, Whatever their agenda is, it doesn't make it, 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 it's not about anyone. It's not about any one topic. Whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, uh, transgender, whether it's LGBTQ, whether it's uh, slavery, whether it's rights, whether it's men and women in gender roles, whether it's uh, you know praying to God, whether it's uh, eating meat and milk separately, whatever the issue is. So we think that we many people think. Today we know facts. Today we know the truth. And the Torah was written many years ago by people that didn't have the same access to information that we have today. They didn't have the internet. And they didn't have, you know, uh, the, the information that we have. So the Torah has, you know, it was good for when it was good for, but now we're far more advanced and far more sophisticated than just uh, the Torah. Yeah? So... The first problem with that is that many of the truths of today may not last the test of time. That's first of all. I mean, it's a basic idea that the world continues to evolve and to change and the wisdom of science and the wisdom of medicine and the wisdom of cultures and of history, things that were accepted as realities, as facts, changed. Well, you have the famous one about if the world is flat around, if the uh, the stars, but even recently, I someone posted some very interesting uh, uh, recent quotes of people who were experts. 
that were totally wrong. The president of IBM. IBM, okay? Yeah, you know what he said? Correct. The president of IBM said that he can't imagine more than five computers ever being sold and maybe 5,000 copy machines. Now, of course, today, having a computer is considered a basic need. There's charities that are, their job is to help people have access to the internet. Uh, president of IBM. Um, David Sarnoff, who was an associate of commercial radio and a television pioneer, said that the wireless music box has no imaginable commercial value. Who would pay for a message sent to no one in particular? Can you imagine the idea of a wireless music box having no value? Here's before, like voice messages and WhatsApp and all that maybe had no value. But like, you couldn't imagine the time. You heard of Simon Newcomb? He was an astrologer and a mathematician. Astrologer and a mathematician. And several months, 18 months before the Wright brothers flew their plane, you know what he said? on record that flight by machines heavier than air is impractical, insignificant, if not utterly impossible. So said the mathematician and astrologer 18 months before the Wright brothers flew their first airplane. It's impossible. It's irrelevant, impractical, insignificant, if not utterly impossible. Well, here's Daryl Zandler, who's a movie producer for 20th Century Fox, so the television won't last very long because people will get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. We got rid of the plywood part, but I'm saying that's a... Right? Anyway, and then you have, of course, Paul Krugman, Nobel Prize winning economist, who stated that by 2005 or so, it will become clear that the Internet's impact on the economy will be no greater than the fax machine. That's Paul Krugman. He's supposed to be like a big expert in the New York Times. That... Uh, Internet will have no more impact on the world economy than fax machines. Of course, today, the fourth largest retailer in the entire universe is Amazon. And the biggest one is Alibaba. So I was like, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Obviously, that didn't turn out very uh, true. But, but, that's, but, that's, but that's only half the answer. Hello, Bruce. That's only explaining that you can't trust whatever culture says today is fact forever. Things will change. But the, we got a little bit distracted. But the real point, the real point, is that when we study Torah, we have to recognize that Torah is eternal. Torah is the wisdom of God. It's the truth of God that is going to last forever and ever and ever. And therefore, and therefore, we have to understand that to study Torah requires a recognition that there's something greater than myself, a humility. Children don't need everything to make sense to them in order to accept it. They are perfectly fine with listening, believing, accepting, without everything making sense. They want to absorb. You tell them it's true, it's true. You didn't see a tooth angel? Okay, that's not a problem. You told me, I believe you. That's the beauty of a child. To teach to your child. Faith doesn't mean that we don't have questions. Me and Robert were just talking yesterday on Tisha B'Av, we talking about all the questions, and Robert wanted to know if it doesn't bother me. Tell me if I said this correctly. He wanted to know if it bothers me that I don't have answers to the questions. He was asking me questions, Robert, about, I don't know, death and the Holocaust. I don't remember exactly what. Questions that have no answers. There's questions in Judaism that have no answers. So he wanted to know if it bothers me that, that I don't have the answer to the question. Right? That's what he asked me yesterday. Yes, accurate? 
You can say that. Basically, he's shaking his head. It's a good question. So faith is not opposed to questions, and faith is not scared of questions. Not at all. What faith is opposed to is this very shallow, superficial, and egotistical perspective that we have all the answers. No one has all the answers. There, there is plenty that we do not understand. So faith is not at all shallow. There's questions you don't have answers to, that's fine. You don't have to understand in order to have faith. That's the beauty of the Torah like a child. That which you learn like a child will stay with you forever. But in order to learn like a child, you need to learn with humility and with curiosity and with an eager desire to absorb the Word of God. When you have that, then all the questions, the questions, I don't think they're not questions. We're not oblivious to the question. The question is a good question. So good I can't even attempt to answer it. But the fact that there's something I don't understand in no way shakes my ability to learn because my learning is not based on my egotistical sense of I in making everything fit into my box and my preconceived notion of my paper full of garbage. It's clean paper. I'm a child. I'm young. I'm innocent. I'm pure. And therefore the Torah is absorbed within me. Good night. Is that Hashem next week? Same time, same place. Mirza Hashem, God willing. Hope you all well, Bruce. It's good to see you on because you reminded me that I promised I was going to do something for you. So we'll take care of it a little later. Have a meeting now, but Bezat Hashem. Okay, you all should be blessed and you should be good and healthy for brachot, for blessings. Okay, Laila Tov. What? I have to go and text my sons. Thank you for reminding me. I'm going to take it home for him.